You know, I think it was back uh, this past winter, I was out for a run one day, and uh, sometimes when I go out for a run, I'll, I'll put some headphones in, and, and not usually to listen to music. I'm not much of a music while running kind of a runner, but instead I'll, I'll listen to some preaching. You know, I like to listen to some other people teach, and sometimes, you know, it can be very, uh, just very beneficial for me, even as a pastor. And I, I was out running, and I was listening to a good friend of mine, a pastor by the name of Kyle, and he was preaching through the life of David, and I just have to tell you that it was one of those messages. And I just knew in that moment that it was for me, that God had in mind for me this particular message. And it was so powerful that, I mean, even the emotion was overcoming me as I was running. And I really had to stop. And, well, you know, as I processed that, I I just... I just kind of left that moment thinking, you know, I can't wait to preach on David. I really can't wait to share, you know, this message and, and again, just some of the impact that it had on my life. And so uh, we're talking about David today, you know, and as we wrap up this amazing story series, uh, I'm excited to look at a few of the events in the life of David with you. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, go to the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to look, we're going to start by looking at this scene when David is anointed to be the next king, the future king in Israel. And I want to give you just a little background first here to kind of set up the context of what's happening in this moment. Uh, David is about 14 or 15 years of age at the time. So he's a young boy. Uh, He's a young teen. I mean, maybe some of you here today are 14 or 15. Maybe you've got some kids that are in those middle teen years. Well, he's 14 or 15 years old when he is anointed the future king in Israel. And up until this time, he had been serving his family as a shepherd. Now, shepherding wasn't a great job, all right? Shepherding wasn't something that you look forward to. I mean, it it was the lowest of low jobs. And because what does a shepherd do? A shepherd watches sheep. That's what he does. He, he just hangs out with sheep. He watches sheep all day. And what do you do, you know, to pass time when you're stuck in a field babysitting sheep? Well, you know, for David, he sang songs. And, and while he sang songs, though, not only was he an exceptional musician, but he was also pretty good with a slingshot. And so he would take target plat- practice. And so he's stuck in these fields, you know, with the family herd, singing songs and, and slinging rocks uh, when we find him in 1 Samuel 16. And little does David know that on this particular day, it's a significant day really for his family because the prophet, a very well-known prophet in Israel, a guy by the name of Samuel, uh, is on his way to David's house with a very specific mission. And his mission is this, it's to anoint the future king of Israel. And so this is a big deal. All right, this is a big deal for David's house. And David came from a really large family. He's got seven brothers uh, at home. And, and each of these brothers, the family knows that Samuel is on his way to anoint the king. But the real tension is that no one knows who it's going to be. All right, and, and so Samuel's going to serve as the Simon Cowell of sorts, you know, like Old Testament style, old, you know, X factor here, you know, for choosing, you know, the next king of Israel. And, and so the story goes that Samuel arrives and, and he arrives at Jesse's home. Now, Jesse is David's father. So this is Jesse's house. And when he gets there, when Samuel gets there, he he lines up all of the boys, all of the sons, and he steps forward. Samuel steps forward and he looks in the eyes of this first son, a guy by the name of Eliab. And, And when Samuel meets him, 
Samuel takes one look at his physical appearance and he is confident and sure that this is God's choice, that this man, this son will be the next, the future king of Israel, God's chosen one. And so he looks at him right away. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6, it just says, surely, Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed one stands here before the Lord. Now you need to know this, that as a prophet, God had Samuel's ear. All right, and so God is speaking into Samuel's life. And, and so Samuel is very sensitive to what God wants, you know, his chosen person for this moment. And, and so he's thinking, well, surely this is the one. I mean, this is God's chosen one in Eliab. But what does God say? No, you're wrong, Samuel. You know, this isn't the one. And I just think it's interesting when you really think about it. I mean, Samuel, he's been around for a while. He's seen God do some amazing, some incredible th- things, some great work. But you know what? Samuel had a box for God. You know, even Samuel had a back box for God. He had in his mind, you know, this is who God chooses. This is what he's capable of doing. And so it, all it took was one look at Eliab, and he was pretty certain, pretty confident that, you know what, this has to be chosen one, that God's chosen one, that Eliab must be God's man. In his mind, he already had a picture of the one that God was going to use. But if you look over to verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel gets the hint. He realizes and understands that this isn't God's chosen one. And so he passes over Eliab and he starts making his way down the line of all these young men, all of these boys, all of these brothers, slowly passing over each one. And then comes this really awkward moment in Jesse's home. I mean, Samuel has gotten through them all. He's finally reached the last son and, and God hasn't said anything. I mean, he, he's been given no indication of who this next, this anointed one will be. And so, you know, God hasn't said anything here. And so we can sort of assume that Samuel doesn't realize that one of the boys is missing. I mean, there's actually a brother missing from the line. And so Samuel turns to Jesse and says, are you sure? I mean, do, do I have everyone here? I mean, are these all of your sons, all of your, your, your children? And, and I just want you to see the irony kind of in this moment here. I mean, Jesse's like, well, well, yeah, I mean, sure. I've got one more, but I mean, you're not thinking of David, are you? I mean, you know, these, I mean, yeah, I've got eight sons, but I mean, I thought for sure it would be one of these seven, but yeah, I've got another boy. He's just a shepherd. I mean, he's out in the fields. I mean, certainly you don't want to talk to him. And Sam is like, yeah, I I need to meet him. I I need you to go and get this boy and bring him back to the house. And so verse 12 goes like this. It just says, so he sent for him and had him brought in. This is David now. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, Samuel. This is the one. You know, I I believe this event reveals an incredible, a very important truth about our God. A great reminder for every one of us today. And and if you're taking notes and want to write this down, it's just simply this. Our God can use anyone. Our God can use anyone. He can. He does. You know, God can use those we would never expect. God sees things. He sees people differently than we do. I mean, we make these conclusions all the time about who God will use and which sort of people he is going to work through. But with David and with this event, God reminds us that God can choose, that he can use anyone. You know, I I can't tell you how many times in my life I'm reminded of that truth over and over again that, 
you know, that God can use anyone, that he would even choose to use someone like me. Uh, my wife and I were at a wedding reception last night and we were sitting at a table and we got to talking to this woman and, you know, come to realize we have a, a common friend, a mutual friend. And, uh, and so it was kind of fun. Uh, this person that, that we share as a friend was a guy by the name of Bob Moss. He was actually the, the senior pastor that hired me, my first job in ministry uh, in a church in St. Joseph, Michigan. And, and as I look back to that now, my wife and I laugh about it all the time. I mean, he really took a chance on me. I mean, I was working as an admissions counselor and, you know, knew and believed that God had called me into ministry, but he really didn't know me very well. But, you know, just through a series of events, you know, we had this conversation one day and he said, you know, I, I think I'm supposed to talk to you about maybe coming on staff with our church. And, and so, uh, you know, it, it didn't take long. And a few months after that, sure enough, we were on our way to Michigan and we were coming on staff and, you know, he took all these great chances with me. Like he let me preach the very first Sunday that I was on staff at this church. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I've got that cassette tape locked up forever. I mean, I, I no, no one is ever allowed to listen to that message, but you know, he took a chance on me and and, you know, the thing is, is that a pastor, um, you walk in, especially as a young pastor, you walk into these situations all the time where you've got to try and discern or figure out where to go next or how does God want to use me? I'll, I'll just tell you this, as I was thinking about, you know, those first couple of years in ministry, those first few days of ministry, uh, when I went on my very first hospital visit, when I was in the room, the guy that I was visiting, he died while I was in the room. Can you believe that? I'm serious. It's not a joke. Like you don't want me coming to visit you in the hospital. All right. I mean, but, but I mean, all jokes aside, I mean, he was an elderly man and he was very, very sick, but I mean that, that just, you know, that's not a great way to start, you know, when you're in ministry, you know, that your very first visit, but I'll, I'll always remember too, you know, just thinking about how God can use anyone. I, I remember one of the first funerals that I ever did. I actually was contacted by a funeral home in, in our community in Michigan. And, and they told me about a young man who had committed suicide and how his family had no pastor. And, and would you come and would you be their pastor for this particular funeral? And, and so I went and I walked in, you know, the day of the visitation, I hadn't met the family yet. We had talked on the phone a little bit. Well, little did I realize that this was a Hispanic family. And, and, you know, in a very close, very, very close knit family. But I mean, it became very obvious, you know, very early on in the interactions that there were some, you know, some differences, you know, and, and just in my shortcomings and wondering how I could minister to them. I mean, not only are we dealing with the tragedy of a son who's committed suicide, but, you know, again, just, you know, some great challenges here. And I'll, I'll always remember we, we sat down in, in the funeral home and there was something like 30 or 40 family members that just sat in a circle and started looking looking at me. Like, you know, we, we need something from you. How are you going to lead us and guide us through that? And I remember feeling so overwhelmed in that moment of God, how will you use me? And, and so just allowing the spirit of God to take over and, and sharing with them and, and reaching this point where I just started to open up the Bible and share the gospel message with them. And, and I'm not going to tell you that there was this overwhelming response or anything. And we prayed together and they kind of went on their way and preparing for the visitation. But I always remember this, that there was a woman, there was a woman from this family that came up to me afterwards. And again, I had never met her. And she just sort of grabbed me by the arm and she said, pastor, pastor, I have to tell you this. I'm a Christian and I've been praying for my family forever. And I just believe that God has sent you at this time and at this moment, you know, to be a minister, to share the gospel message with my family. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times over and over, even now, I disqualify myself in, in believing that God could really 
that God could use me. And I, I just wonder for you, I mean, how often in your life do you disqualify God's work or his desire to use you? How often do you disqualify yourself? I mean, how many times have you heard things like, you know, this is the degree that you're going to need and you don't have it? Or how many times in your life have you heard things like, you know, these are the books that you're going to need to know, or this is the training that you must have, the talents and the skills that are required. And maybe you have them, maybe you have some of them, maybe you have none of them. Oh, and by the way, if you've ever done this before in your life, or if you've ever done that before in your life, well, then it's probably too late for you. I mean, that's kind of where we are with David. But with David, God says, don't put my anointed, don't you dare put my chosen one in a box. Because David is my chosen one and I'm going to use people. I'm going to use people like David. And God reminds us that with David, that he's willing to use people like you and me too. Samuel wasn't prepared for David. You know, he didn't see this coming. He isn't even looking for David because he doesn't know that David existed. Even David's father, Jesse, you know, is somewhat surprised that you would want to talk to my young boy. I mean, in Jesse's eyes, David was just a kid. He was just a shepherd. And I just think that we're all guilty of making excuses like that of disqualifying ourselves from God's desire and his ability to work in our lives. And so you'll say things like this, you know what, I'm just too old. You know, I, I'm too old for this church even. I mean, there's no way that God wants to use me. And, it, and so you'll say things like this. And I just have to say, really? I mean, do you remember Abraham? I mean, do you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? I mean, when God wanted to populate a nation, he chose an elderly, infertile couple. I mean, they were old, but God used them. Or, or we'll say things like this. You know what? I'm just way too guilty. I've got a past. I've done things in my life that you don't even want to know about. I just have to say, do you remember Moses? I mean, you may or may not know, but Moses killed a man before God ever spoke to him through a burning bush. I mean, if God can use Moses, don't you think he can use you? Or, or you say, well, life is just too hard. I mean, I've got all these things going on in my life, all of these circumstances, all these letdowns over and over again, these disappointments, and, and things are just really complicated for me. I mean, God must have it out for me. And I just have to say, do you remember Joseph? I mean, Joseph was sold into slavery. I mean, he ended up in prison for a crime that he didn't commit, but God had him just where he needed him so that one day he could rise to be second in power over all of Egypt and so that his people could be spared. I mean, this amazing story series that we've been looking at over these last weeks is our reminder that our God can use anyone. He does it all the time. He proves it over and over again. And it's not just an Old Testament thing either. I mean, you know, who does he choose? I mean, think about it. God picked a young girl by the name of Mary, you know, to bring the Messiah into the world. I mean, he chose a sinful, embezzling tax collector in Zacchaeus. He chose a short-tempered fisherman and a guy by the name of Peter. Over and over again, all through scripture and in this room too, our God proves himself once again that he can and he will use anyone. You know, this past April, uh, there was a man by the name of Chuck Colson uh, that died and passed away. And, and Chuck Colson really lived a fascinating life. And uh, for a long time, for a long portion of his life, he didn't know Jesus Christ. He didn't have a relationship with him. He worked for uh, President Richard Nixon and eventually ended up in prison as a part of the Watergate scandal for obstructing justice. And, and if you read about his life, especially if you go back to that day when he passed away and you just read all of the headlines, the news is really interesting, uh, especially depending on who you read and, and what you read about him. I mean, because from different people's perspectives, Chuck Colson was really two different people. 
I mean, on the one hand, many remember and still remember Colson as Nixon's partner in crime. But then all you have to do is turn and look to a different writer or turn to a different publication as he's remembered as a minister who was responsible for reaching hundreds of thousands of men and women in our prisons all around the world. I mean, he was remembered as this great Christian thinker. But if you didn't know him, Or if you don't know who he is and you just go back and read the stories and you see all of the different views, you'd you'd be left pretty confused wondering what kind of a guy he was. You see, there were two very different Chuck Colsons. There was the Chuck Colson before Jesus and there was the Chuck Colson after Jesus. And if you knew him before Jesus, you would have never believed that God would choose to use him in this most powerful way. You know, the late theologian Carl Henry was commenting on the next generation of Christian leaders. He was looking ahead, thinking about the day of the next, the future Christian leaders, men and women in this world. And here's what Henry once said. He said, you know, many of them are probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would be the great apostle to the Gentiles? And who knew that God would raise up C.S. Lewis or Charles Colson, who were once unbelievers? The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with a Darwin fish on his bumper. And the next Charles Wesley might be a profane womanizing hip hop artist right now. And the next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house at the moment. And the next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic today. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty all the time of overlooking people wondering, God's not going to use them. But then I have to ask myself, do I really believe the Bible that I read? I mean, I mean, think about it. Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and people like Esther and so many others. I mean, there was nothing spectacular about them apart from God. But when God calls, see, when God calls, when God gets a hold of your life, he proves over and over again that he can use anyone. And if it wasn't too late for God to use them, then the question that I want to ask you this morning is why is it too late for God to use you? You know, our God has a purpose for all of his people. You know, he demonstrated that in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that you and I could know that purpose and we could know that truth and we can know that he put us on this earth for a reason, that he has ordained every single day of our lives and that if you'll surrender your life to him, if you'll trust him, I mean, you and I, we have no idea. We, can, we cannot even begin to imagine what our God would choose to do with me and what he wants to do through you. Guys, let's not put God in a box. Let's not limit him to what he's capable of doing in anyone's life, but in your life especially. God will and can use you. I mean, no one ever thought David would be the one, the future king, but God says, he's my choice. This young man, he is the one. And as God proved that he could use anyone with David, he also reminded us of this, that he can do anything. That God can use anyone and that our God is capable of doing anything. You know, David's story is an interesting one. You know, he was anointed to be the future king. Doesn't mean that he became the king immediately, but he was anointed to be the future king at the age of 15. But do you want to know what? It wasn't until years after that before he even took office. In fact, after meeting Samuel and of hearing the news to come, uh, do you want to know what David did next? He went back to the fields. 
I mean, he went right back out to the pasture and he continued doing his work as a shepherd. He went back to singing songs and slinging rocks once again. But let's be real. I mean, if we could, I mean, you know, this young man and with that event behind him, I mean, there had to be so many days when he was thinking to himself, King, I mean, really? I mean, was this a joke? I mean, or, or is today the day that I'll finally become king? Well, the Bible tells us that time passes, years pass actually. And, and we get to first Samuel 17. David is around the age of 18 now. He's not 20 yet, which means that he's not old enough to fight in the Israelite army. And one day David's dad, Jesse, calls David in from the fields and he says something like this. Hey, David, um, the Israelites, the Israelite army is at war with the Philistines. Uh, Your brothers are fighting in the army. I've packed them this lunch. Will you take the lunch to them, check in on them and see how things are going? I mean, this wasn't too common. Or too uncommon. And so, so David is on his way. He's on his way to the battlefield. And when he gets to the field, he discovers that there is no fighting going on. And instead, David learns that there is this Philistine giant by the name of Goliath, who is just simply out in the middle of it all, mocking the Israelites. And the Philistines have challenged the Israelites with Goliath saying, hey, look, let's not make a mess of this. You know, there's no need to shed everyone's blood here. How about we'll choose our best. You choose your best. We'll have a meet in the middle. They'll fight it out. Whoever wins, well, the loser will become the slave to the victorious nation. And so it's a one-on-one MMA, you know, sort of battles, you know, that they're describing here uh, with a lot on the line. And and what did the Philistines do? Well, of course, they're going to choose Goliath. All right, they're going to pick their giant, their very best. And so Goliath steps out in front of both armies with David watching from the side. And Goliath just starts mocking God. I mean, he just starts ripping into the Israelites and ripping into what he calls their so-called God. And look at the reaction on Israel's side in 1 Samuel 17, verse 11. It just says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, you need to know there are great implications in this verse right here as the words dismayed and terrified go a really long way. I mean, the the, the fear of Saul and the army of Israel betrays covenants from years before that God had established with his people. You know, and on the basis of these covenants, God had said, hey, Israel, you'll you'll never have to fear your enemies because of me, because of, of, of what I can do for you. And so they were scared. I mean, King Saul, their leader is scared. He's terrified. We'll talk about him in a second. And all of the Israelites too, but I want you to notice who's not mentioned. Who's not mentioned here? I mean, who's not afraid? David's not mentioned. I mean, David hears these same challenges from Goliath and look how he responds in verse 26. David says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I mean, David's clearly offended. I mean, he's upset. And don't forget, he's 18 years of age. Goliath is a giant. But David, he goes out now and he goes before the king. He goes before King Saul. And look what he says in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, that's me, David, will go and fight him. Now, Saul takes one look at this 18-year-old harp playing And no offense to anyone in the room who plays the harp. Uh, Shepherd boy. And David replies to David and and replies as Saul says this in verse 33. He says, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. I mean, Saul's like, are you kidding me? 
What, what's your name again anyways? I mean, are you really kidding me? I mean, this guy is a trained warrior. He's been fighting battles. He's been fighting people longer than you've been alive on this earth. But here's the thing. Saul has a problem. I mean, he's got no one. He's got no one brave enough to go out before Goliath. I mean, Saul's got no choice. And so he's desperate. And, and so believe it or not, finally he gives in. And, you know, the scriptures say that he tried to fit his armor to put his armor on David. But remember, David's a teen. He's not even old enough to fight in the army. And so the armor doesn't fit. It's too big. But David doesn't let this prevent him. And he's not about to be talked about out of this. And so he, he walks out onto the battlefield with nothing but a sling and and he sees Goliath and Goliath sees him coming and Goliath's like, are you kidding me, Israel? I mean, are you kidding me? This is who you send. You pick a boy. I mean, you little boy, I, I, I'm going to kill you and I am going to feed you to the animals, the wild animals that are around us on this day. But look what David says. And I just want you to see his faith and even his view of God in these words. First Samuel 17 Beginning in verse 45, David says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into or give all of you into our hands. What's the cool thing about these verses? David didn't have a box for God. You see, even in Saul, we see, you know, this, you know, he was a man that knew of God, but he had a box for God. David didn't have a box for God. In fact, if you continue reading, what's just so interesting is that in verse 48, it doesn't say that David just walked out to meet Goliath, but that he literally ran out to meet Goliath. You know, there's such a contrast between King Saul and his eventual successor in David. I mean, why wasn't Saul or any of his men out there on the field willing to fight Goliath? I mean, Saul had a reputation for being this great warrior, you know, a great fighter, but he's not out there. I mean, like the rest of the Israelite army, he's terrified and scared. Why? Because he had a box for God. I mean, he had this limited view of God and what God was capable of doing. And, and you can see this and you can see this fear in Saul. I mean, for Saul, he, he's like, what if Goliath wins? Uh, what if we lose? You know, what if I lose my throne? You know, what if we become slaves to this nation? You know, can you see how we're like that as Christians too? Can, can you see how so quickly we can become overwhelmed with fear and the what ifs begin to take over in our life? And when we face opposition in our life or we face opposition in our country, we'll say, well, what if the economy doesn't recover? Or, or, or what if it is cancer? Or what if I never get married? Or, you know, this what if, this what if, this what if. But David... David wasn't consumed by the what if. I mean, when you, you can see that when you allow the what if to take over in your life, I mean, when your God lives in a box, you can just see how fear and anxiety set in and consume us because we're overwhelmed by these so-called what if situations. But David, David didn't see the what if. David saw the who is. 
David didn't see the what if, but he saw the who is. He saw God who is the Lord Almighty, the God of the army of Israel. I mean, from David's perspective, this isn't David versus Goliath. I mean, this isn't shepherd boy versus Goliath. This is God versus Goliath. And while most everyone on this day saw a terrifying giant by the name of Goliath, David saw something different. I mean, he doesn't see Goliath. He sees God. He sees how big God is. And while everyone else thought it was impossible, David was like, yes, he can. Our God, our Lord, he can do this. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but, you know, our God, and we just see this in these amazing stories over and over again. He just really has this reputation of putting people in very difficult circumstances, right? I mean, he does that for us too. Does it ever feel like that? That our God has this reputation of allowing us to find ourselves in these difficult circumstances. And again, if you think back through the amazing stories, I mean, God tells Noah to build a boat. Guess what? It had never rained before. I mean, God tells Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation. He doesn't have kids. You know, Joseph's unfortunate circumstances land him in prison in Egypt, but it's there in Egypt that he will rise to second in position and be able to provide this safety, this safe haven for the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And God called a woman by the name of Esther when everything was working and up against her, but he had her in just the right place for such a time as this. You know, these amazing stories have one thing in common. You know what it is? An amazing God. These amazing stories have this one thing, this amazing God in common with each and with David too. God reminds us that he can use anyone and he can do anything. And there is nothing that can limit him or prevent him. He can do whatever he chooses. Do you believe that today? What's your view of God? What what, what kind of box do you put God in? You know, and how have you labeled that? How, how have you labeled your life in regards to God? You know, maybe you've labeled, your, like, God could ever use me. You know, maybe you'd label this box, well, you have no idea my reputation. Or you know, I have no idea what I've done or how many times I've messed up. You know, our, our God shows us, he proves over and over again that he can do anything and he can use anyone. Do you believe that today? That our God can use anything, do anything, that he can use anyone. You know, I'm sure there were many days in the fields when David wondered, you know, what in the world is going on here? I mean, me, the king, really? I mean, I'm just a stupid shepherd boy that everybody's forgotten about. Well, little did David realize, you know, that God was using every single one of those days in the fields as a time of training. I mean, he was getting David ready for what was ahead. And I just say that to you today because if you're here and you believe that God is silent or inactive or absent from your life, he's not. And whatever situation or circumstances you find yourself in, maybe he is using these circumstances right now in your life to get you ready for what's ahead. And if you're facing obstacles in your life today, I can tell you and I can promise you that he's not going to waste any of those circumstances in your life. Why? Because our God is big enough. And he's great enough to get you through whatever is standing in the way in your life right now. You know, maybe one of your greatest challenges with God, the greatest challenges of your faith right now with with, with putting God in a box today has everything to do with timing. 
You know, because you, got, you want God to work according to your calendar and you want him to work according to your schedule because it's about our time. And because it's about our time, we'll limit God and what he's capable of doing. But did you know this? Did you know that the time from when David was anointed the, to be the future king of Israel to when he actually took throne, it was something like 15 years, 15 years. I mean, those, those years of waiting as a shepherd, you know, and all of those years in the field. And, and then there was the fight with Goliath. And from there, he spent about 10 years on the run, running for his life from King Saul, because eventually King Saul learns that someone went out and anointed the future king. And he's not real happy about it. I mean, he's not real happy to discover that his replacement has already been said. And so for 10 years, David is on the run, hiding in caves. And all along the way, he is singing about the greatness of God. Look like these words here in Psalm 27, 13 and 14, when David says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. What great words, be strong, take heart and wait for the Lord. You know, if your God is small enough to fit in a box, then you're going to have a hard time waiting on him because, again, you just want him to work according to your schedule. You know, you just believe, I've got to do something. I've got to make this happen. But David, he just waits. He's patient and he keeps waiting on God. And when he was something like 30 years old, then he finally became king. Do you believe that God can use anyone? Do you believe he could use you? Do you believe that God can do anything? And I, I bet most people would say yes, but, but how about when it involves your life? You know, J.B. Phillips said that one of the greatest challenges that we face as Christians today is what he calls a limited view of God. That as Christians, we've determined by our actions and our faith that our God is too small. We limit God. And if you say things like, play it safe, don't go overboard on your faith, if that's what your God says to you, then I'm here to tell you this morning that your God is too small. And if your God operates according to your calendar and when it's convenient for you, then your God is too small. If your God is a white guy who loves Americans more than he loves Iranians right now, your God is too small. If your God never messes up your plans or or challenges you to do anything generously with your resources, then your God is too small. If your God needs a certain president to be in office to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this nation, then your God is too small. If your God has never filled your eyes with, with tears because of his love and his grace and his mercy for you, your God is too small. If your God's dream for you is for you to retire and then just take life sort of easy, then your God is too small. If your God is Baptist, Methodist, Arminian, or Calvinist, your God is too small. If your God looks at the sin of greed, lust, and gossip in your life and says it's a big, not a big deal, you're better than most people are, your God is too small. If your God says that you've worked hard enough for your marriage, it's about time that you go out and do something for yourself. Your God is too small. And if your God says, you know what, one church and two locations, can we just be satisfied with that for just a while? Your God is too small. Because here's the thing. If your God is so small that he can fit in a box, your God is too small. Because our God... He doesn't do boxes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you are the Lord Almighty, the Lord God Almighty. And and I know that I and we, we so easily get our eyes locked on the circumstances in front of us, uh, situations that surround us.
And, and some here today know these difficult and trying circumstances too well. Uh, they stand in the middle of these battles today. And like Saul and the Israelite army, our reaction so many times is that we are shaken severely. And so I pray today, God, would you give us faith like David? Would you help us take our eyes off of the giants right now in our lives and that, that instead we can focus our eyes on you? Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us even in these next few moments to declare with our mouths and with our hearts that you are mighty and powerful? And Lord, would you act? Would you fight for us today? God, we don't want to read these events and these amazing stories from Scripture and not be changed by them. But I pray that with each event and each story, Lord, that we would be able to find ourselves in them. But not just ourselves and our lives and our circumstances, but can we also see you? Help us see you, God. Increase our faith and our confidence in you today. God, I know there are many in this room right now who have been waiting and, and, and they feel like that you've been running behind or that you've been absent altogether from their life. But would you, God, would you in these next few moments, would you remind them that you are Lord, that you are present, that you are never absent, that you are always watching and we are never alone. God, we confess our sins to you today. That every single one of us is guilty for putting you in a box. We are guilty of this limited view of you and what you can do. God, you are strong and we are weak. Lord, you know everything and we know nothing. And so we humble ourselves before you, God, and we declare our dependence in you today. You are the one who fights for us. And so God, as a church, we just don't simply want a bigger box for you. God, would you help us to get rid of the box for you altogether? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.